Welcome to the Pet Project Podcast with Sarah, the creator of PetProjectBlog.com. This is your weekly dose of news, views, and activities to help you strengthen the human-animal bond. I'm Steve, producer of the show. On today's podcast, we continue Sarah's story of how pets influenced her life, including the adoption of a mostly feral dog. At this point in the story, Sarah and her husband Eric have just lost their cat Zipper to kidney failure. We had her uh, cremated and picked up her ashes in this funny little urn where they glued the lid shut, which was weird, and brought her home. And I was really glad that we had done it that way because it was, you know, so much calmer and I got to cry. Um, And then we just had Sham and she was lonely and she missed Zipper. Um, I don't know that they were the best of friends, but they definitely were companions. So we started looking for a companion for Sham. And she was, neither one of them were that old. And um, they really should have lived longer. And I think a lot of it was because they were purebred. So we had long before decided that we were, one, not going to get a long-haired cat again because it just wasn't fair to them, in our opinion. And two, because we wanted them to be more robust and healthier. And Eric, I imagine with a long-haired cat, would have more problems with his allergies. exactly. And technically, I'm allergic to cats, too, but I ignore it. (laughs) Which isn't to say that he's bad for not ignoring it, Mm -hmm. but there you are. So we started looking for um, a young cat, and we there was a rescue group near us that had a viewing room where the cats got to be outside of carriers, and they were like normal cats. Um, and we went there, and there was this little black cat, female, and I picked her up, and I was holding her like you hold a baby, and I was rubbing her chin, and she reached her paw up and touched my face. And, you know, that was it. She was our cat. And she was really calm and just super sweet and moving slowly, but, you know, was playful and happy and healthy. And so we ended up adopting her and bringing her home, and Sham hated her. It turned out that Sham had started losing her hearing, which we had no idea. Um, They mask that sort of thing really well. And this kitten freaked her out. And this kitten was just dying to be friends with this cat. She wanted to nurse, and Sham would like back up away from her going, what are you doing? We ended up naming, naming the kitten Raven because she was black. She ended up growing into her name because she was she's an incredibly clever cat with uh, an affinity for shiny, bright objects, just like Raven's. Then Sham went downhill, and it turned out that she had already been suffering from kidney failure. And I was not at all prepared for that. She was very much my cat, and I thought that we had at least five years longer. So we went through the same thing with her of um, waiting to see, you know, what was the sign that it was time to euthanize her. And I... I knew the day, and that was the day that she, that was the first night that she didn't sleep with me, and she got lost in our house. She, I think she was starting to kind of have dementia, and she was downstairs in our house crying, and 
I'd never seen her like that and she just had no idea where we were or where she was so that was the day and again Dr. Conger came and Sham was more like herself she didn't she wasn't angry it was very calm I got to hold her and we had her cremated and picked up her ashes too so now it was just Raven and she was pretty young and we had her alone and she would live by herself for a while she was amazing she learned how to open my jewelry box drawers and these aren't small drawers and would steal my earrings she would get stick her head down in the penny jar and pick up a penny in her mouth and walk to the end of the bookcase that it was on and drop them off that was we finally caught her doing it because we couldn't figure out why these pennies were on the floor at the end of the bookcase i was amazed i mean what cat does that her nickname is Boo or Boo Boo because she, every time I went into the bathroom, she would go into and get in the bathtub behind the shower curtain. And I knew she was in there, but she managed to wait for exactly the right moment where I let my guard down, where I thought, okay, this time she's not going to jump at the curtain. And she would jump at the curtain and scare the bejesus out of me, even though I knew she was in there. Somehow she knew like some change in my respiration or something. She knew exactly the right moment to get me. And people think that animals don't have senses of humor, but you could just tell that she was giddy that she had gotten me to squawk. But she also had this red dog um, that's the mascot of Petco. She had been fostered before we got her, and the foster mom was so sweet. She took pictures of all of the kittens and made little photo albums for them for the people who ended up adopting them. So when we adopted her, we got this little photo album of her with her litter mates. And in there, there's because she was a runt too, there's this picture of her attacking this stuffed red dog that was bigger than she was. So when I saw one at the store, I bought it and brought it home and wondered if she would recognize it. And we hardly had any furniture at that time. And she was across our living room on the other side, and it's a pretty long living room. And I shook the dog next to me, and I was holding it about hip height. And she saw it, stopped what she was doing, charged across the room, leapt into the air, grabbed it with all four feet, came, pulled it out of my hand, and just, like, play eviscerated it. She completely recognized it. Mm -hmm. um, so that was her dog and she kind of had a love-hate relationship with it that i think a lot of cats have with their favorite toy she'd carry it around like it was a baby but she'd also attack it and bite it and then lick it and stuff well she we would come home from work and that dog would be in a different place every day she would take it to her food bowl almost all the time then at night she would somehow haul this thing up the stairs with her and it was a tiny kitten with yes, a large toy with a toy that was bigger than she was and these are steep stairs. She'd haul it up the stairs, and then one day she was big enough that she actually jumped up onto our bed with it. And I woke up in the morning with this red dog on the bed with me. She was amazing. She was She's just an amazing cat. She would also take it to her water bowl sometimes, and I remember one day we came home, and she had dropped him so that his arm was in the bowl, and he had wicked out all of her water, so he was soaked. And she had no water because he had soaked it all up. She desperately needed a friend. So we went looking for another young cat for her. 
and it turns out there's a kitten season in the Pacific Northwest because of the weather and the length of the days. And in more southern parts of the country, there's no kitten season. The female cats produce kittens year-round, but there was a kitten shortage, and we would be lined up outside animal shelters with people, and they were literally running into the place when the doors opened, trying to snatch up the kittens. And I just wasn't interested in fighting over a kitten with somebody. So it took a long time to find her. And I went back to the same rescue group and one day and they had kittens. And I had actually shown up a half hour earlier than I intended. So it was 45 minutes before they opened. And they were in that front room where you could watch them. So for 45 minutes, I stood there watching the kittens. And I had actually picked her out before I even went in. Um, she was this gray and white bicolor. She was good at playing with the rambunctious male kittens. She was good at playing with a more timid kitten, and she was great with the adult cat that was in there. Like She just really understood everybody's boundaries, and she was very adept at dealing with all these different cats, so I thought she'd be really good at dealing with Raven, who's kind of a persnickety cat. So people would come and stand next to me and it had been so traumatic trying to get find a kitten and now I had one that I did my best to send out the go away vibe for anybody who came because I was getting that kitten so they opened the doors and I went in and I picked her up and I'm checking her to make sure she seems healthy and everything and she was fine and I adopted her really quickly and brought her home and Raven wasn't thrilled because Sage, I ended up naming her Sage because she had gray green eyes and she was gray. And she also seemed very good at dealing with other cats. So I thought she was a Sage personality. This is the beginning of the names that turned out to be something I didn't mean for them to turn out to be. But anyway, we brought her home and she was very lovey-dovey. Sage really wanted to snuggle with Raven and Raven was not thrilled about that but she kind of tolerated it and I think she kind of learned that if Sage was snuggled up against her it meant it was really warm and so she would put up with Sage's lovey-dovey-ness. We have some pictures of Raven sandwiched between the back of the couch, the back cushion, and Sage and Sage is way younger than she is but she's she looks like she's twice as big and that's partly because Raven is tightly balled up to try and avoid this very sweet kitten that is trying to glom onto her. But she just, she started to learn to live with it. She saw the benefits, I think, of it. Plus, there was no way she could battle against it because Sage was just very sweetly going to insist that they be curled up next to each other. So they had a pretty good relationship. Did Sage present any special challenges? No, she's super easy and just super sweet. She's the sweetest cat I've ever had. She loves to be comfortable. She's just she's just incredibly sweet. So no, there were no challenges with her. Uh, well, that's not true. She loves company. And she was apparently used to having somebody near her. I don't know if it was uh, her litter mates or a person near her when she was eating. So she would go to her food bowl and yell at me until I got up and went and stood with her while she ate. So I would be in the middle of something and she would just start crying nonstop until I got up and went into the kitchen with her where her food bowl was. And she 
she still kind of does that now that when we go upstairs she's she stays upstairs now because she has diabetes and has had neuropathy from the diabetes where her muscles are just not what they used to be in her balance isn't what it used to be and so she doesn't feel as secure about coming downstairs so she pretty much just stays upstairs and she has her food and beds and a heated bed and a cat stand and her litter box and water up there so she's set but whenever I'm up there I'm petting her or brushing her she always goes to her food bowl there's something about just company and food so she still does it but not the same way where she yells at me until I come be with her but I remember talking to people on the phone and having to excuse myself while I got up because she was making so much noise that it was going over the phone so that, and then I would finish my conversation while I was standing in the kitchen with her so if you can call that a problem that's the only problem up through this point in your life as a pet owner you've only had cats right you always wanted a dog as a kid yes and now at this point you get your first dog saffron right tell me about saffron we I really wanted a dog and I lobbied Eric for a dog he was understandably resistant because it meant bringing in another animal one to take care of the cost and the time but also another thing for him to be allergic to and I was allergic to dogs too, but I didn't care. And, but I also didn't want to, you know, make his life miserable. So we started researching dogs, specific breeds. I thought that I would want a specific breed because I figured you knew what you were getting, you know, uh, personality wise, temperament, the whole thing. Um, we actually went to a dog show because we were going to see what, dogs Eric was allergic to and what he wasn't but the place was so filled with allergens that he was just basically allergic to the entire space I was fascinated by Akitas which are a Japanese breed of dog very intelligent uh, very loyal reserved I wanted a dog that I didn't really want a lab I didn't want a dog that went running up to strangers I wanted a dog that basically I could take on walks with just by myself and feel that I had a little bit of security I grew up in a small pretty small town and it still takes some getting used to to live in a larger town and you know I just wanted a dog that gave me a little bit of buffer between me and strangers and a you know a very gregarious dog was not going to do that so I was really interested in Nikita's and researched them a lot but I kept checking on Pet Finder and I was looking for dogs that were listed as being good with cats and a lot of times rescue organizations use foster homes to keep their pets that are up for adoption and that's a great chance to find out you know more about the dog if they're good with kids if they're good with cats that sort of thing so I was keeping an eye out for that we actually went to a place um, south of here at the end of the Puget Sound the southern end and went to a rescue group there to take one of their dogs for a walk and I had picked him mainly how he looked they didn't have a whole lot on his personality and he completely ignored us the entire time we took him for the walk so I knew that he was not going to be a good match even though he was a beautiful dog so we didn't take him but I kept checking and then one day I came across this dog that was listed as being good with cats 
and she was young but not a puppy she was mixed breed she was a stray on the Yakima reservation and she was beautiful in the picture we decided we'd go take a look at her we weren't decided we hadn't decided ahead of time that we were going to adopt her but when I called to make the appointment, I found out from the uh, rescue group that there were other people who were interested in her, and we pretty much had to decide when we went to see her whether we were taking her home right then. So that there was a little bit of pressure. So we drove over the mountains to the Yakima Reservation and found her, the house where she had been uh, taken care of on the reservation, and she was just beautiful and sweet. You could tell that she just was a very soft-tempered dog. I didn't know that much about um, canine body language, but I think a lot of it is instinctive. Um, she just seemed like an incredibly sweet dog, and she was really good with these cats. There were cats all over the place. They were running around completely ignoring her, so they had no fear of her, and these were really tough cats. They looked like a, a gang of thugs. I would have been afraid of them. So I think that they had really kept her in her place. She had found this house because they were putting food out for the stray cats, and she had been eating that food. And I'm sure that those cats ate first. You know, it didn't matter that she was a dog. She, she wouldn't get to that food before they were done. So we petted her and talked to the woman about her, and kind of looked at each other and went, so are we doing this? And I think Eric said, well, do you want her? And I'm like, I said, yes, I want her. She's mm -hmm. adorable. So we decided right then and there that we were going to take her home. And we loaded her up in the back of our car. We had all these ideas about what we were going to let a dog do and not do in our house and in our car. And she was never going to be riding in the back seat. She was always going to be in the back of the car. And a lot of those things fell by the wayside once we actually had her. So we had her in the back of the car, and she had a collar and a leash on, but we didn't have anything else to put her in. She had, like, a blanket, I think. And we headed back over the mountains. And uh, partway there, we stopped at a rest stop because I thought, between nerves and just the amount of time that she would need to go to the bathroom and I didn't want her to have an accident in the car. So we stopped and I opened the back of the car to let her out and she started panicking and she wouldn't get out of the car. In fact, she kind of just slinked over the back seat and crawled into the back seat of the car and was shaking and was just petrified. I had no idea what was going on. I'm still not sure. I'm afraid that she might have thought we were dumping her. I don't know. I have no idea. But I, there was no way she was getting out of the car. So I actually ended up getting in the back seat with her, and she buried her head in my lap and stayed that way the entire rest of the drive. She was just terrified, which broke my heart. But we brought her inside, and... I don't think she'd ever climbed upstairs before. She didn't really know how to do it. I think I may have actually carried her into the house, which was a little tough because she was about 50 pounds at that point. Eric couldn't pick her up because she was too terrified of him. And we brought her in. We had her on a leash so that it was a controlled introduction to the cats. And I remember she walked out of the kitchen door, and Raven was right there. And Raven was trying to sniff her, but was also really concerned about what this creature was. 
but she was just kind of standing there. She wasn't hissing or anything. And Saffron averted her gaze, which is a submissive signal. She turned her head and then she crouched down and started doing the submissive role where she exposes her tummy to this petite black cat. So we pretty much knew that there wasn't ever going to be a problem with her and the cats if she was going to be giving submissive signals to our black cat. Do you think she remembered the tough cat gangs? I do. I think she must have. She must have thought that all cats were like that. You know, that you just, you are very polite with those beasts with the sharp teeth and the claws and the fast reflexes. Mm -hmm. Um, So she was really good. She was very interested in them. She wanted to herd them in slow motion and keep them in a bunch. So we're pretty sure that she's got some herding dog in her, like Border Collie or uh, Blue Heeler. Describe Um, Saffron for me. What does she look like? She kind of looks like a blonde Border Collie. She has a mask of yellow on her face, and she has a blaze of white up her forehead partway. She has white feet and a white tip on her tail and a white stomach. And she has incredible black eyeliner around her eyes that's very pretty and gets commented on by people. Um, She has a black nose, and she kind of has some dark points to her ears. So she kind of looks like a a blonde border collie. So because she hadn't really been in a house, she wasn't officially house-trained. So we kept her in the kitchen and we had a baby gate to keep her from having free access to the cats so that no bad habits were established like her chasing the cats and getting the great reaction of that cat running away from her. So we were really careful about that. She had a crate in the kitchen and our bedroom is upstairs so we set up baby monitor so that we could hear her at night and know if she needed to be let out or anything like that. Early on, I think she only had one, maybe two accidents, which I find amazing for a dog that was basically feral. She didn't know anything about houses. She was afraid of the coffee maker. She was afraid of me blowing my nose. I had a cold when we got her. Um, We had no idea how many fear issues she would have. Um, It was a lot of work, but it also meant that I had to really educate myself about training her because there was no way that I could effectively train her if I was harsh with her in any way. She just was too afraid. What was her physical condition when you brought her home? That's a good question. She was definitely suffering from having a a damaged immune system and not having had enough healthy food. She had spots of mange, it turned out. Her immune system was damaged from poor nutrition and probably just the stress on her system from being out in the winter as a puppy. She had just been spayed before we got her. What we didn't know was how recently it had been done or that she was supposed to uh, stay basically immobilized for a few days. So in trying to get her comfortable in our home, we played with her and encouraged her to be playful, which we really should have been keeping her still. There was a swelling at the site of the incision that it filled up with plasma. Mm. So we ended up having to take her to the vet and they drained it. This was maybe the second day that we had her, so she didn't know us at all. So they drained the site of the incision and they put a compression bandage on her, which consisted of an old towel, clean, but an old towel 
masking taped very tightly around her abdomen to keep pressure on the wound so that it didn't hurt her, but to keep pressure on the wound so that um, it didn't fill up with serum again. And then we were instructed to not, you know, let her romp around. I think she probably thought we were insane. She also had a cone on her head. So this dog that was already being bombarded with all of this new stuff now had a cone on her head and a big towel taped to her middle. And we imagine that she was had to be wondering what these crazy people were doing to her and what she'd gotten herself into. She also was no longer being allowed to free feed because part of house training is controlling the schedule for their food consumption and their water consumption so that they don't have a chance to have accidents. So she was not used to not being able to eat. So she was getting a lot, a used to a lot of new things. And she did that incredibly well and really quickly. So she had the bandage on her, she had some spots of mange, and she may have then had some sores around her mouth. So we got the mange diagnosed and we treated that. Fortunately, she didn't have a bad case. She was immediately being fed higher quality food and probably within a month, any of that doggy smell that she had went away and her coat had started getting thick and plush. So it, it was amazing the difference that that made. It turned out that the sores that she had were a result of her having an immunoglobulin A deficiency, which is uh, thought to be the cause of a lot of allergies in dogs, that it gets traced back to that. That's that um, immunoglobulin protects tissue and the mucus lining, so their whole digestive system is affected or can be affected. And her digestive system wasn't the happiest, so we gave her probiotics and, and that sort of thing. So she wasn't in terrible shape. She did, had almost no muscle tone. We'd take her um, for walks and stuff and she'd get tired. So she really changed over a few months to having better muscle tone and that sort of thing. I remember you telling me that she was very afraid of Eric. Tell me about that and why do you think she was that way? Okay. I think I don't think that she had ever been abused. I think she just had never been around people enough to know that to know anything about us, to be able to read us or anything like that. And in canine body language, to approach another dog full on face to face is an assertive sort of behavior and they tend to interpret the same thing from humans so if you walk straight up to a dog face to face looking at it that's a really assertive move on your part so Eric is taller than I am he's bigger than I am and he has a deeper voice so he has more of a presence and she was just terrified of him even though nothing had ever happened so he would walk sideways towards her without looking directly at her. And he also had to baby talk her because if he spoke in his regular voice, it was it would scare her. And we were doing our best to give her as much positive and, and not scary interaction with us as possible so that she could learn to trust us. That was a big thing that we were having to get over early on was we needed her to be able to trust us if she trusted us, then we could take her to the dog park. 
you know, we could introduce her to new things because she had some reason to be reassured. I also had to walk sideways towards her. I could speak more in my normal voice because it's not so deep, but I also baby talked her because it just was far less threatening for her. She had been an outdoor dog and she was really used to being outside. She wasn't used to being inside. And so when we would let her out to go to the bathroom, she a lot of times was really reluctant to come back in. And we have steps up to our back door. She would balk about coming back in. If we were standing in the doorway, it was too scary for her to walk past us to go through the door. So for the first few months that we had her, I pretty much carried her back up into the house because she was too scared to do it on her own, which was interesting. <laughs> I bet you gained a lot of muscle. Her yeah. 50 pounds. And fortunately I was pretty strong to begin with. Otherwise I don't know how I would have done it. If Eric went to go pick her up, she would have just been trembling and cowering and rolling over on her back. And she also would pee from submissiveness and fear. So we just were trying to get as many good interactions with us as possible. So we avoided pushing her too far. Tell me about taking Saffron for a walk in those early days. Mm. I was glad that I had been reading about dogs for a long time because otherwise I, I don't know what I would have done. She wasn't used to anything. She didn't know the difference between sidewalks and the street. So she would just like ramble off the curb if I didn't keep an eye on her. She was startled by everything. She was afraid of traffic. It's been a long time. She's seven years old now. So I have to think back to what it was like back then. She was about six months old when we got her. I remember walking in our neighborhood and before we would get to a busy street that we needed to cross that actually wasn't all that busy, but was busier than the quiet neighborhood streets. Eric would walk ahead of me and I would be walking slowly as we approached that corner and he would let me know when there was a break in the traffic so that we didn't have to spend any time at the corner because the longer we spent at the corner waiting to cross, the more stressed and frightened she became. So we it was kind of like playing miniature golf where you wait for the windmill to do the fans and then you like charge across the street so that she wasn't scared. Because when she got really panicked, she would just flail at the end of the leash, just in complete hysteria which was terrifying to watch. I was afraid that she was gonna come loose from her collar. Also pretty early on, we started walking her with a harness. Or actually, no, we walked her with a, a halty, which is a head harness mm -hmm. to keep dogs from pulling. I wish we had used a halt, uh, harness, but we didn't know about them yet. So I pretty much had to stick to the same walk for months and we would add one block at a time after probably a few weeks of walking five blocks. I'd add another block and we'd walk that for five weeks and then I'd add another block. Trash day was really difficult because she noticed, she notices everything because she's very cautious and she was afraid of the trash cans and the recycling bins that suddenly appeared in front of people's houses. Any change hmm. freaked her out. I remember a jogger coming around the corner once and startling her. It was a woman, so it wasn't even somebody threatening. And she just panicked and about jerked my shoulder out of the socket. She was afraid of UPS trucks. She was afraid of pickup trucks, delivery trucks, garbage trucks. She was afraid of men with clipboards. 
She was afraid of men in um, like reflective safety vests. Uh, she was terrified of a boat on a trailer one time. She was scared of a motorcycle. She was scared of um, construction equipment for road repair, even if they weren't doing anything with it and there were no people around. So one of the first things that I taught her was check it out, which was my signal to her that whatever the thing was that she was scared of was okay and that she was supposed to come up and sniff it and then she got a good girl and then we would go on and do what we were doing. So I was trying to teach her little bit by little bit that things weren't so scary. And for almost everything, if I didn't push her too far, she could sniff it. But I do remember that the boat on the trailer that was just parked there was too much. And I'd absolutely, there was no way that day that I was going to get her to come up and sniff that boat. I think it was because she could see under it, but I have no idea. So those walks were very slow <laughs> and went on for a long time. But it was really fun to watch her gain confidence. I mean, it was so rewarding to see that in her. She loves cats. She loved meeting cats on our walks. She thought everyone was going to be her friend. And fortunately, so far, none of them have attacked her. She likes people and liked them then, but she was still scared of them. So I was that bossy person who would tell people how to approach my dog because I was trying to make sure that every interaction she had was as positive as possible. So I would tell people, please don't crouch down, don't lean over her, scratch her chin, not her head, you know, all those sorts of things so that she had good inter interactions. And I probably came off like a lunatic to a lot of people, but I didn't care because I was just so focused on kind of rehabilitating her so that she could participate in our lives. So we knew that she had mange and that sort of thing, and we knew she'd been a feral dog in a rural area. She seemed fine, but a friend of ours was petting her one day and noted that her hips weren't the same on each side. So of course, once we noticed that, we focused on it and really realized that she was asymmetrical. So I took her down to our old vet, who was the one who'd come to our house to euthanize our cats, because I really trusted her and, and knew her. So I took her down there and to have her x-rayed. And when the x-rays were done, she came back in and said that they were some of the most unusual x-rays she'd ever seen of a dog. That sometime when she was a puppy, Saffron's hip had been fractured and had never been treated. And so it had just knitted back together on its own and it didn't knit back in the right place. So one leg was actually shorter than the other, but one hip had been pushed forward. So it ended up that her, her legs evened out. So the longer leg was with the hip that pushed forward and that's why she pretty much walked normally. It's not uncommon for this sort of thing to happen to dogs that are strays in a rural area. And our vet had spent a lot of her practice in rural Montana. And her experience with this sort of thing was that these dogs were either in the back of a pickup truck and fell out or got hit by a car and ended up in a ditch on the side of the road where they would lie and either the bone would knit back together and there was enough water in the ditch that they had something to drink or they died. So what probably happened to her is that she lay in a ditch until those bones knitted together enough 
that she could get up and that was when she found the food that this woman was putting out for the stray cats so a pretty tough beginning for her and she still doesn't like dogs to be around her back end which I can understand but it means that she's had um, decalcification of the hip and though she's been pretty healthy recently we've noticed that it's it's not as healthy as it used to be it didn't used to bother her so now we're going to be looking at possible hip replacement or having the uh, the ball of the femur cut off and then the bone is free floating in there the muscles and ligaments and things take over to stabilize the bone so she won't have bone on bone anymore which is really painful so we're going to be looking into that. So you were telling me before about using dog behaviors to calm Saffron down, to communicate with her essentially. Right. Tell me about that. Okay. The first time that we did it was probably the walking sideways, which was mimicking the same way that dogs approach each other. The other time I used it was the first time I did a play bow for her, and a play bow with a dog is where they kind of slap their front paws down and their rump is up in the air and it, you know they just look like they're ready to play. Saffron was really hesitant about playing with us because any quick movement or anything like that worried her. So I remember being in the backyard with her one day. I was squatting down and I slapped my front hands, my front hands. <laughs> I was squatting down and I slapped my hands on the ground in front of her and she looked at me, her eyes got big and she mimicked the same behavior back to me. And when I stood up and threw something, she knew to go run after it. She understood that we were playing, which was a pretty incredible moment. And I try to be careful about anthropomorphizing and projecting, but there really was this recognition in her face that you know, we were communicating. Next week, in the conclusion to Sarah's story, we will talk about rehabbing Saffron, as well as the creation of Pet Project. If you'd like to learn more about the site, visit us on the web at petprojectblog.com, and to be sure that you get the podcast every Monday, go to iTunes and subscribe. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another installment of the Pet Project podcast.